A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You are listening to Missed Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Trumpets and Chris Stevens. Somewhat subdued today, boys, because we've got no live stream, Matt, for the first time in forever. Yeah, it's it, it doesn't feel right. I feel, well, I hate to use the word naked on a family show, but wow, it just doesn't feel right to not have the chat room involved. And Chris Stevens, whose opinions are we going to steal and take credit for now? I know. It's like when we did the quizzes and I would just wait for the chat room to answer them for me. It's like we're, we're on our own. I feel exposed. It's a scandal, but we're still an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Let's talk about some news. Big Dirty News. Now, the first story on our list is that Porsche had a 2021 engine built and tested, but have decided to withdraw it. Now, Matt, this is, I think, huge news in the landscape of Formula One. Why would a company like Porsche decide to have all that work done and then not follow through? Well, it's an interesting thing because the engine was built as a crossover between WEC and Formula One with the idea that Formula One would be dropping the MGUH and the 2021 regulations. Now, needless to say, none of the current engine manufacturers ultimately decided they wanted to do that, mostly because they'd already spent so much time and money building the current generation of engines. It's cheaper to just keep on developing that than to start over with the new concept. So Porsche wound up not only not coming to Formula One, but also bailing on WEC as well. And now they're just going into Formula E, about which we haven't have a show. Okay, M-G-U-H. Explain to me why that would have been good if they dropped it, or why that would have been good for Porsche, because it would have been cheaper, easier? Yeah, basically, the M-G-U-H is the fiddly bit of technology that's given us 50% efficiency in this current generation of engines. And we have some more information on a technical matter about that going forward, which is even more exciting. But we're going to save that for later. 
Ooh, Chris, how does how does this affect you know the landscape of F one? Because it kind of it makes us feel like we're going through uh going through with a direction that makes F one less accessible and therefore ultimately less competitive. It's a little embarrassing, really, isn't it? I mean, the whole idea of the 2021 regulations was to shake up the engines as well as the aerodynamics and the chassis in order to draw in more manufacturers. You know, we've been trying to get the likes of Aston Martin, Porsche and Audi to, to come in and, and work on, on engines. And yet what we ended up with is, is something very, very similar to what we have now. And it, those manufacturers who did show an interest have, have turned their backs on it again. So really, we've gone absolutely nowhere. Yeah, but how many engine manufacturers can Formula One really afford to have at this level is is my question. The economics of it is how many teams do we have now? Ten? We have three, um, three and two, right? Three Ferraris, three Mercedes, two Renaults, and two Hondas. Yeah? Am I right about that? So where's Porsche going to go? maybe to McLaren, but that's just one team. Even without the MGUH, think about the amount of money that, say, Mercedes spent developing an engine to be competitive for the new set of regulations. Each manufacturer now would have to re-spend that much money to be competitive under a new set of regulations without an MGUH. And then you're looking at a very long time to recover that money. But then all these engines were going to be a lot cheaper than the current formula anyway. The whole point of 2021 was to make them simpler, cheaper, a little bit more powerful, a little bit noisier. I, I just don't... It was like an open goal to to mix things up a little bit. Uh, the only people that spent more money on the engines were the people developing them. If you look at the cost to the Formula One teams, and this comes from a Steve Matchett book, by the way, they were still spending $20 million on engines back when he was still in racing. I mean, it's it's just the cost of the engines isn't really all that great. It's 15 to $20 million per team per year. Hmm. So how far forward have we come since 2014? So we've had, this is the fifth year of the hybrid engines, Chris? Yeah, yeah. It's We've come a long way, a, a hugely long way. I think the original stats for the internal combustion engine you know, of, the, of, of the power unit was around 650 to 700 horsepower plus the 160 from the MG UK, but what you've got to th- throw on 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 top now is we're pushing and possibly even breaking the thousand horsepower mark overall. And of course, that's not coming from the K because the power from the K is restricted. So it, that's all coming from the internal combustion engine. Not to mention the fact that they are so much more fuel efficient as well. Yeah, and reliable. We're down to three power units per season, and you look and see the gains that are made not only with the architecture of the internal combustion engine, not only with managing energy flow better between the K, the H, and the ERS, but also uh, with fuels and and lubricants and development as well. So there's really been a tremendous, I mean, 50% for even a hybrid internal combustion engine is just remarkable. All right, it's techno babble. Half of us are lost, me included, but let's, bring it down to a simple case of what we would see i think had porsche come in you would see a honda situation but even more so because they've missed out on five years what's the chances they could come in 
and jump in and be competitive, Chris. Do you really think that's plausible? And let's bear in mind that a lot of people were assuming Honda were going to be competitive and it took them a long, long time. No, but there is a, there are some very, very key differences between Porsche and Honda. Porsche has got the most amount of resource behind it compared to any, even compared to Mercedes. They've got more resource behind them. They are also the kings of what would have been the MG UK because that has been their golden point of the World Endurance Championship. Like half the power of their LMP1 car came from the K. We'll remember their terrific hyper boost power that gave them, you know, well over a, a thousand horsepower and made them the kings of the championship back in 2015. And not to mention as well that it, it would have been, it wouldn't have been a complete reset like what we saw in 2014 in terms of, you know, engine development because the engines were supposed to be not completely different but but simpler along the same sort of baseline but you you also would have seen them have a, a better starting point than what honda would have had so i think you combine all those factors together they at least would have had their foot in the door for a, a competitive engine from the get-go yeah i would agree the h is definitely the sticking point for a honda it did them a lot more damage because they had a lot of experience with v6s from indycar Let's not forget. Um, but for Porsche to have used that engine, it basically would have been, okay, we will write regulations specifically for the engine you've pretty much already developed. And you're just not going to get the other manufacturers to agree to it. Yeah, I can completely see that. So basically, for Porsche to come in and be competitive, we needed a complete revolution in the engine makeup. But that's not going to happen. So I, I just I don't have the confidence it would have been. But then why are the teams writing the rules of Formula One? This shouldn't be, in all honesty, because that's how we've ended up with this massive conflict of interest. Because in reality, they have massive amounts of power, Matt. It's true. And and if you just ask yourself the following question, if you were running Formula One and you wanted to bring new manufacturers in and you said, here are the rules, and everyone who currently participated as a manufacturer said, if we go through with this, I will walk, what would you do? It's, you've got to... You've got to play a very ballsy game of Mexican standoff in that situation. And it looks like the teams have kind of won out here, or more more particularly, the manufacturers have won out. However, I don't think it's all doom and gloom, because Renault aside, we've got three competitive power units now. Honda look finally to have got their act together. Ferrari and Mercedes are flip-flopping around each other in a nice competitive way. So could we have just Renault getting bored, dropping out, selling Enstone on and then we've just got three reasonably matched engines with what do you call it diminishing returns so basically you keep those regulations the same and before long it's no longer an engine formula because all the engines are pretty much at maximum performance this is what we always see at the end of regulatory cycles is we see parity will eventually develop and i know we're giving renault knocks because they have been unreliable and renault the team has certainly well we will use the word underperform to not hurt Kyle Edgy Power's feelings any more than they already have been this year. But if you look at McLaren, for example, they have a Renault power unit. And where are they again in the championship standings there, Chris? Help me out. Fourth. Yep. And they're very happy with their power unit uh, relative to last year. Yeah, I'm sure it's got nothing at all to do with the fact that Force India or Racing Point, sorry, haven't really got their car properly sorted because, you know, they spent all of last season in administration uh, among several issues with several other teams. I'm sure it's got nothing to do with that. Uh, or their driver lineup. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So what we're learning, though, is that when it comes to these regulations, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull all have a massive say in what's going on. I think that's the reality now. And I, the last I heard, the 2021 regulations were coming out as soon as um, June. There's some meeting, isn't there, coming up in this month, Matt. And as far as I understand it, after that, the regulations are going to get dropped. This very week, in fact, I believe they are out to the teams. And if my memory serves me correctly, which is always an interesting proposition and worthy of a bet, uh, the vote in the World Motorsport Council will be on the 14th of June, and the regulations have to be finalized by the end of the month. And after that, it becomes much more difficult to tweak. I, I can't quite remember if they actually agreed on whether they were going to push it back to October. There was a lot of talk about them doing that, but uh, if, if I remember rightly... Uh, they, that's what they will do. Yeah, all of the teams were in favor of that, except for one particular midfield team, which might be linked to Mercedes, we have heard. Mr. Apex understands. Uh, oh, spell it out for people hard of uh, reading and doing their own research. Apparently, Racing Point insisted that they had to have the regulations now. And this is what we understand, of course. Uh, meaning that we haven't confirmed it, but that's that's pretty much the uh, rumor in the paddock. It, is that sounds of Brooklyn? Yeah, that's someone on a bike right outside my window having fun with their throttle. Let's call it ambiance. We certainly tolerated it for the Joe Sayward episode where he was on a balcony and we were treated to reversing trucks and all sorts. Uh, if you want to listen to Joe again and whatever background noises he has chosen to bring with him, I think we're going to be catching up on Tuesday. And one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, driver transfers and is Sebastian Vettel not long for this for this sport. Uh, Matt, Lots of sources saying that Sebastian Vettel is going to chuck in. Is this just angry Vettel haters sticking the knife in because A, his title challenge against Hamilton isn't materialising and B, he is having the odd bloody nose dealt to him within Maranello? Well, I think uh, you could see supporters of his thinking that he might be frustrated with Ferrari again developing and delivering a car that won't do its job for him. You could see it being sourced to Leclerc supporters who feel like the setup that they put forth at the beginning of the year, that all things being equal, they will favor favor Vettel as being a four-time world championship winner and someone with the experience to win another might have rubbed them the wrong way. Or you could just put it up to, you know, you got to make a buck. So is this just journalism, is it, Chris? This is just sensationalism. Uh, Oh, I don't know about that, but I... Personally, don't believe it. Not yet. Anyway, um, I'll believe it when I see it. That's for sure. But I just I don't see why he he would um, at, at this point. You know, yeah, I know that it's not all going the way it's supposed to be at the moment. But I, Sebastian Vettel doesn't strike me as the kind of person who would just back down because the challenge is too big for him. It pains me to agree with you, but I'm going to have to. I don't really see if he's going to leave the sport. I see the new regulations as being a much more likely time for him to decide he's going to move on. And I don't think Bonato has had enough time to really coalesce leadership because let's not forget, their real leader last year was uh, Marchione. And all of the hesitancies and steps we have seen since then have been the team trying to sort out where their vision will come from. Because the Agnelli's obviously are in charge of charge of. 
But it was Marchione who had really taken this on as a project. Okay, so let's think of this in legacy terms, in history terms. Sebastian Vettel is a four-time world championship. Uh, you know, you, you can't take that away. If this is a game show, you know, he might be saying, you know, I've had a great day. You know, I came here with nothing and I've got four titles now. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, we're going to go. We're not going to gamble. Uh, is he essentially gambling his reputation and his legacy the longer he stays? Much like Fernando Alonso might have been argued that he'd, he'd kind of done that by hanging one on and staying at Honda for five years. It's It's... You know, Matt's shaking his head at me, but some people think that. I, I would say Alonso going to McLaren actually strengthened his reputation as a driver uh, because he had a lot of places to hide um, and oh, was a yeah. lot less exposed. Not taking not taking anything away from Fernando Alonso. I do still think he's, you know, part of that big three. But uh, I no, I don't think Vettel's doing any damage by staying at Ferrari. What does damage to his reputation is when he you know, spins and crashes into other people like he did a lot uh, last season. Okay, well, go on, Matt. Uh, so you meant Alonso going to McLaren the second time? Of course I did. Yes, of yes, course. Uh, the first time was something different. So but from a Vettel point of view, it's hard to talk about this without knocking him. Let's let's do the worst case scenario for Sebastian Vettel is that he gets beaten by Leclerc on points this season. He hangs around, gets beaten again by Leclerc. Leclerc maybe even picks up a world championship. He then moves to another team such as Renault or McLaren to just continue what he's doing. Some bold new project, you know, Damon Hill Arrows, Fernando Alonso, second visit to McLaren style thing. He goes there and then again is matched by another young buck. He's he's 32 now, so we're talking about the, the last portion of his career, even if he goes into his late 30s, this is the last five years of a longish career. The worst case scenario for him sees people going, well, maybe if he'd had someone different at Red Bull, he wouldn't have those four titles. And that's not going to take those titles away. It's just going to start taking the shine off and be difficult for Vettel fans to take. I don't know if it takes the shine off, really. I mean, I think what it points out is that when it comes to driving styles, he might have less flexibility than someone that we would put at the super top of the heap. Someone like an Alonso who has driven cars from different regulations and been successful. Someone like your favorite driver, Lewis Hamilton, who again has had success across regulatory eras with cars that had different handling characteristics. If you give Vettel the car, I guarantee you, and we saw it last year, he was competitive. Well, I'm going to say, let's put it on the other side. Why don't we say, actually, Chris, the reason Vettel was so on the limit and spinning in the last two seasons is because he was driving uh, an underperforming car. I know it's popular to say that Ferrari had the best car last season. They didn't. Vettel was pushing uh, a car that was flattering. uh, Sorry, that was flattering itself. But really, it was Vettel pushing it to the limit, taking that title challenge to Hamilton and then occasionally going over that limit. And you could now say, well, he's up against one of the genuinely brightest rising stars in Formula Racing that we've ever seen, as far as we know. So in the lightest timeline, Vettel is actually just a, a dogged champion fighting against very tough situations. Yeah, I mean, I can see him definitely battling the situation at Ferrari at the moment. I mean, we forget everyone looks at Vettel's championships and go, oh, he just you know, dominated. He had the best car for those seasons, but he really didn't. In 2010, that was a five-way scrap for the title. 2011, yeah, sure. I, he got the jump on people by 
being better than everyone else in a, a new formula. But it's not like Mark Webber was going all the way with him. And in 2012, that is the most competitive championship Formula One has seen. And even the beginning of 2013. But in even then, he was still he was just being better than everyone else. It wasn't always the car. I think what hurt him was the way the cars changed in the hybrid era. He didn't like them as much. The tires changed as well. He doesn't like them as much. Um, and I have to agree with Matt. You know, you give him the right set of circumstances and he can absolutely... For me, he's still the best driver for like bagging pole position and then just driving off into the distance and meticulously controlling uh, a race. But outside of that scenario, he isn't the best driver on the grid. I think there's a case to be made for that. Obviously, being out front on pole with the fastest car, if you get away cleanly, that is easier. But for example, oh gosh, Australia 2018 when we saw Mercedes blow a lead from the virtual safety car because they were managing a gap in a different way to how Red Bull and Vettel used to manage that gap. They used to go go out and go, right, let's just get just about a pit stop. (laughs) You know, let's use that dominance to get a pit stop ahead. Whereas Mercedes are like, well, let's cover um, getting the undercut. Let's make sure we've covered the undercut instead of, you know, going a whole pit stop ahead. Now, I, I've often wondered why that is. I think Mercedes don't like to show their hand and they don't like to push the performance envelope more than they have to. But like I said, it's those different approaches, you know, maybe that's lent to why Vettel has that reputation as being great at maintaining a lead and keeping it. I would actually put it at the reliability regulations, number one, and chance of a safety car, number two, in terms of you only going to go hard enough to cover your undercut And then beyond that, you really just want to go at a speed that manages your tires best and keeps them in the window, however much further ahead that puts you. Thrilling. What about some other transfer news? Uh, No, come on, Matt. Matt's laughing at me. But it's like, well, you know, let's get like a few seconds ahead and then let's just chill out and manage all the systems. I'm laughing because you're absolutely right. It is not the most exciting way to put it, but it is kind of reality, folks. I'm sorry to if I'm bursting anybody's well, bubble. Well, it there. is a little bit like that until somebody is pushing you. So when you've got people who are then pushing you hard and put you in a situation where you can't manage your tyres and are making you uncomfortable, that's the only thing that made the Monaco 2019 Grand Prix any interest at all, was that Hamilton would have loved to have sat there and just managed his tyres at a slow pace, but Verstappen was making it a little bit fighty and dicey and forcing him to to go a little bit faster than he wanted to which was bringing in the risk of the tires not lasting or blowing up which was the thing that he wanted to manage yeah i think all those words made sense chris what else is going on in silly season and um, the hulk there's rumors there any any foundation to those rumors yeah so the reference you're making there is the idea that Nico Hulkenberg is going to go to, to Red Bull in the place of Pierre Gasly um, next season, which, as far as I can tell, is really unfounded. Uh, Joe may say otherwise that there has been a rumor about it. How many people are taking it seriously is another question. For me, I don't see Red Bull thinking, we've defended Pierre enough. Let's sack him and get the 31-year-old who hasn't scored a podium in Formula One. Yeah, I I like to put this particular spin on it. Did Red Bull talk to Hulkenberg about that seat? Oh, yeah, I'm sure they did. Did they talk numbers? Maybe a little bit. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, because let's all recall who stole Daniel Ricciardo from Red Bull last year. 
So am I wrong in thinking that Hulkenberg's in the midst of contract negotiations here, Mr. Chris? I I honestly don't know. I mean, we know there are a couple of drivers who are, are up at the end of this season. Most of them are going through to 2020, 2021 even. Um, so it's so quite- if, he's, if he's negotiating and he's talking to Red Bull, what's that going to do with his price at Renault? Well, I mean, yeah, he's trying. Exactly. He's- it's just Horner getting in there and getting back some of his for last year. Well, yeah, because we, we suspect, don't we, that Daniel was being paid a little bit more than Nico. But for me, I think that's entirely fair, given that Daniel is a race winner. Hulkenberg's done nine seasons, I think, now in Formula One. Uh, or maybe it's eight, because I know he missed a year. But uh, And not scored it. And every chance of a podium he's had, he's squandered it. Uh, and, and not just Brazil, but the Azerbaijan 17 and 18 could have been on the podium, and he crashed in both those races. There are other examples. He he's had the opportunity and he squandered them. Okay, let's um let's start with the the baseline first because before we answer the question of who's replacing Gasly, it, are we hearing strong rumours that Gasly's on his way out, Chris? Well, no, but look, I don't buy it, right? Because I've never seen Red Bull defend an underperforming driver at all, let alone like to this extent, right? They are fully backing Pierre and saying, no, the car isn't brilliant. Max is overperforming in the third best car and is doing a a stellar job. And that is making Pierre look worse than what he actually is. But Pierre is also struggling to get to grips with the car, which is struggling. Also, why would you take that seat? If you're Hulkenberg, I think you probably understand that you're going to go to Red Bull. You're going to go to Max's team against a driver who's driving really well, who looks really comfortable, and you're sitting pretty at Renault. I'm sure he's not on paper round money. I'm pretty sure Hulkenberg is earning a few bob and has got a swimming pool. And at the moment, he seems to sort of have the measure as well of his highly rated superstar teammate. So at the moment, I would say life is pretty good for Nico Hulkenberg. Why are you going to go ruin that, Chris? Why? Well, his next chance of potentially ever winning a race or even scoring his maiden podium is 2021, bare minimum, if he stays at Renault. That might be the only reason why he might shake things up and go somewhere else for 2020 is a last gasp. Uh, maybe he doesn't quite have the faith in Renault. I don't know. This is speculation, but I'm I'm pretty sure that Daniel is going to get on his tail pretty soon. I mean, we know Daniel's been really struggling to get to grips with that Renault uh, and can't really blame him because that is also a, a really underperforming car this season. They're not that they should be the fourth best team. And they're not by a long shot. Struggling with the old voice there a bit, Chris. That's uh, I, I recognise that. Have you been out on the town? You're still young and interesting, aren't you? No, I just I I didn't breathe for like a minute. It's <laughs> a very exciting point. Uh, the driver market in general is interesting, Matt. Are we creating gaps in the driver market because there isn't really that much to to talk about for next season? It's already looking pretty settled, unless we make up that Gasly's sacked mid-season and that Vettel is going to retire. Yeah, I think that 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 speculation is part of it. I mean, uh, I think we have Grosjean who is out of contract, and I think Hulkenberg. But honestly, uh, I didn't get a chance to go find out who it was. I think there's only two drivers that are up, unless somebody retires or shuffles. And obviously, if we posit that Vettel, for personal reasons, chooses to compete no more, then that makes everything very, very interesting. And we can like write many, many clickbaity articles about said thing. So uh, that's where I would put it. Not to mention the rumor that Robert Kubica will get dropped 
mid-season in favour of uh, Williams reserve driver Nicholas Latifi, the current F2 uh, championship leader, which I just I, you know is not going to happen, that he'll at least see out the season. Beyond that, I don't have confidence for Robert. You say that, but until Giovinazzi punted him at Monaco, he was ahead of Russell seriously and would have finished where Russell did, if not higher up. Now, I had a combat for this last week, but I've completely forgotten everything that happened beyond the front of the Monaco Grand Prix. And I will come back to you on Twitter about that because there was like, for what, for like 10 laps, he was ahead of him. Because I think, didn't didn't they start on different tires as well? It's, uh, they started on different tires, maybe. I don't want to rehash it too much, but Kubica was in the lead until he got punted by Giovinazzi. But I will hand it to Russell. He parked at the pit lane exit at the safety car to get off of his tires and onto new ones. And that's why he wound up ahead ultimately. That I will I will definitely combat you on this because I rem- there was definitely some outlier about this because there is just no way Robert has been near Russell's pace. I can wait. And if you want to follow that, of course, you will have to follow Chris at Chris on Racing and Matt at MattPT55. You can also follow me by following at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, listeners, you have to know the battle that I am constantly fighting against these guys, and particularly Matt. Matt will put new stories in, such as uh, the share price of a Honda tyre wheel nuts has gone down by one yen, which means that someone got sacked in Australia. right? And he puts those in the notes all the time, and I sneakily go through and delete them. But every now and then, like bloodletting, I have to let a little bit of that pressure out. So, Matt, tell us something about a merger in a thing and Mitsubishi is that I don't know what's that a jeep what what is this new story all right so the new story is as follows that Fiat Chrysler who had been looking to merge with anything that had a pulse for quite some time is now apparently in talks to merge with Renault 
And this matters because Fiat Chrysler was the parent organization of Ferrari and Alpha, two teams that are in Formula One. And Renault, of course, is the parent company of Renault team, also in Formula One. And the suspicion was, or the speculation was, when this story came up in the Formula One world, that this might affect engine supply for Formula One, that Viri might be shuttered and customers uh, sold rebadged engines along the lines of Mechachrome back in the day. But mostly, I don't think that's it. If there's something to be concerned about with this rumor, it's that with the merger, the commitment to the Renault Formula One program might be something that gets reevaluated. Well, is Renault rebadging somebody else's engine in F1 really going to be a bad thing? I think that can only make the sport better. The issue is that if you've got Renault, Alpha and Ferrari all represented in Formula One under the same working group, what's the point in having them all in there? One of them at least will get plugged. It's not going to be Ferrari. It's highly unlikely to be Alpha after they just poured so much money into the Sauber team to, to rebadge it. So the, the highly likelihood is, is that, you know, Renault are going to, the Renault name at least, is going to vanish from Formula One. Yeah, that would be the scary thing. Um, Results wise, I mean, if you're in the Renault team, obviously, and that represents more than just, you know, Cyril and Hulkenberg and Ricciardo. There's a whole factory full of people that will no longer have jobs. It's not a nothing question. And the thing we have to consider is that Renault has dumped, um, I think they're about $190 million a year now. They're, uh, they are at what they perceive the 2021 cost cap to be. And so you look at Cyril as a man who's running out of time to deliver results above the midfield and probably arguing to his bosses, well, just wait till the 2021 regulations when we have a cost cap will be much closer then. But he's showing no signs of it right now. And it, I don't know, maybe he's well connected. But if I were him, I would be sleeping a bit uneasily at this point. So Renault in a little bit of trouble, perhaps if this affects them and the F1 interests of Renault. I've heard a rumor, though, that the Renault staff wouldn't have to worry and that Enstone would be uh, would be bought up by a shady group of financial investors headed up by Matthew Carter in his long overdue return to Formula One and that he's going to be installing Matt Trumpets as chief strategist, uh, Summers F1 as the, as the technical lead, as long as it just involves drawing sort of pictures and saying "Why 2 k vortices and uh, installing Brad. As, oh, hang on a minute. How old's Brad these days? 30? 33. Ooh, oh, I don't know. A bit dodgy, that. Test driver. Huh? As, as test the, driver. As, as the test driver. All right, good. Um, but, what about me? I'll be the PR guy. Hmm. Oh, you do PR. You do that professionally now. Okay. okay we'll yeah. have to do some PR. It's, it's only me who has to worry. Is, is, there, is there a shed-based role that I could play? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Let's talk tech then. Matt, suspension something something. Right. So we saw an interesting article from... Because, uh, look, let's face it. What's really driving this Formula One season? Ferrari. Really? They showed up at testing... They looked brilliant, and every race, it's been one tragedy after another. Where has Ferrari's pace gone? What is the problem this weekend? Is Vettel spun? Isn't that a website now? I don't know. If not, it probably should be. Ah. 
So every week, it's the question of, will Ferrari get their act together and match what we saw in testing? Is that unrealistic? Yes, absolutely. But it is entirely too much fun, and it is very dramatic because of the stakes involved. Ferrari is... There's so much pressure on them from Italy and just from the sport in general. And they were so close last year. And we have a new team principal, oh, a delicious, a new driver, too much fun. So a theory evolved that perhaps part of the problem was due to their hydraulic suspension. They were very late to add hydraulic suspension uh, relative to Mercedes and most of the other teams. And there's some suspicion that it correlates with their drop in performance. It does. However, what we also are seeing is Haas adding that suspicion, suspension to their car for the race in Canada. And that makes me think that whatever problems they're having, I don't think it's necessarily suspension related. So what, what problems are they having then? Where has the pace gone from testing, Chris? I think uh, the tyre, well, I don't know about testing, but certainly compared to last year, the tyres have got a big deal to, to do with it. The thinner tread has definitely worked in Mercedes' favour. And the other teams just haven't been able to get on top of it as much as Merck have because their car works for it a little bit better. Um, I will also say aerodynamically, it's probably not the best, not compared to the Mercedes. Mercedes is still the benchmark in terms of the aerodynamics as well and the chassis. You know, So they've got all three of those on, on lockdown uh, now. The only challenger is, is the engine um, department. But we know in aerodynamics, you know, especially with the front wing changes for this season, that's where Red Bull have struggled in particular and would be surprised if Ferrari have as well. Yeah, well, I think they have struggled with that. Uh, but let's not neglect to remember, which is a complicated way of saying that, I suppose, that Ferrari also lengthened its wheelbase. And that's what Mercedes did last season. And you saw the struggles they had. Ferrari's biggest advantage last year wasn't that they necessarily had the better car when it was perfectly set up, but they had the better car to set up very close to being perfect at more venues. That's where they scored a lot of their points. I think that was their plan for this year. It looked good in testing, but then first they had to ditch their trick new front suspension. And then the temperatures at testing were such that they hadn't really learned that they weren't on top of the tires until they got to, I believe, probably China and and realized that they had a problem. They couldn't get the fronts and backs in the window at the same time. Is there any hope is there any hope for Ferrari this season or, or are they seeing it out and looking towards next season already? Be careful because, you know, we don't want people switching off. But I think everyone is resigned, Chris, aren't they, to Mercedes running away with it. They're resigned, actually, to the most competitive battle being Max Verstappen versus Ferrari this season. Yeah, uh, I, I hate to agree with that notion, but unfortunately, I think that is very much the case. It's going to be a real uphill struggle to try and turn that around depending on what Pirelli do with the ties for next season. If they don't change them so much, then yeah, it's worth pursuing for sure. But we know in 2021, again, it's all going to you know, change once again. So they've got, they've got to balance out how quickly do they think they can get on top of this? It doesn't seem like an easy issue. No, it's not. It's interesting. Um, we've heard that Ferrari are bringing a higher downforce wing to Paul Ricard but that they are sticking with the concept. They're doubling down on the concept of their front wing. They think it is workable. Um, and really, I think it is more down to 
Um, and, and they're putting a brave face on it. You know, they've said they've been in the simulator. They're they're pleased with the way things are looking for Canada. Canada is a bit more of a track that I think will suit them, help them with some higher speed turns, keep energy in those tires. But it, it's hard to argue now that Mercedes has such a big jump in the champion and both championships. It's going to be difficult for them to make that ground up unless things really start going sideways at Mercedes. Okay, well, why don't we have a, a look further down the field? I think we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Mercedes upgrades uh, when we review the Canadian Grand Prix, because that's coming out now, the Canadian Grand Prix. One of my favourite tracks, even though you could technically argue it's a street circuit, but it is it is very circuity still. However, I think it is dependent these days on getting a safety car or not. I'm, I don't want to, to uh, you know, steal the chips of our, of our preview. That's not a phrase, Chris. <laughs> no I, I i don't imagine it is um yeah write that one down and we can, we can i'm gonna be completely honest with you a much ruder phrase came to my mind and i couldn't think of a, a way to get out of it smoothly so i just didn't uh, but can we look at formula b let's look at formula b because it is being led at the moment by the undisputed king of the midfield sergio perez ha chew it haters which is an odd one isn't it really given Racing points, current you know, predicament with the car. Uh, it hasn't been a top performer, really. I don't think. I've never thought of it as a Class B leader uh, at any point this season. That has always come down to uh, the Haas, certainly in qualifying. But the McLarens and the Toro Rossos have been leading that battle in the races. So just just to be clear for people listening at home, when we talk about the Formula B Championship, this isn't the strict points from Formula One. What we're talking about is the Reddit Formula One and a Half driver rankings, where they start with sixth position being first position and getting 25 points and going down the field from there. So if you were seeing some minor differences, please understand that's where that came from. And I had actually sat down, and this is a funny thing, I had sat down to say, oh, let's talk about Formula B. And it turns out that if you think of a thing that you think is clever, there's probably someone on Reddit who has already done it for you. And that's kind of how this turned out. At the end of last season, Autosport did a season review as if the top three teams didn't exist. So like this Formula B um, thing and the season review, it was actually really, really good and was a fantastic championship fight as well to boot. So I like this idea. It is a brilliant idea. And I will say the only reason Sergio Perez is currently at the top of that list is because Kevin Magnuson got penalized for cutting the chicane at Monaco. Otherwise, based on his finishing position, he would actually be in the lead. Wait a minute. Did Sergio Perez at any point uh, cut the chicane and get a penalty? No. Um, is it, he is, wasn't close enough to have to Is it that, better or worse to get a penalty or not get a penalty? So I think that is down to Sergio's skill to not get penalised in the way that Magnussen did. Uh, but le look, let's be honest. As much as people <laughs> like to argue that Sergio Perez might not be one of the very top drivers, in that midfield battle there, he, he is the one of the top drivers in that scenario. You cannot argue with me that he is not at least up with the class of Perez, Magnussen, Sainz, Raikkonen, Kvyat, Ricciardo. Maybe people will take umbrage with the Ricciardo, but he's kind of out of it with his Renault this year. But Perez... He's not a massive surprise to be leading that. No, he's not. But you do have to throw a new name into that. And this is one that Chris will know well, and that would be Alexander Albon. 
Yeah, uh, for me, the reason Perez's name surprises me is because of the car. Uh, and the reason Albon is not leading it, in, in my view, is a, a, his qualifying performances haven't been 100%, which is fair enough. He's and he knows that, yeah. And the car isn't always the best, is it? It, it is a good car. It's a good midfield car. It's not the best, I will say. Um, for my money, it, it should be Haas leading it. And I think this this might be a track that might struggle with the front tyres, but in terms of getting rear tyre temperature, this should not be an issue around Canada. It is 100% rear traction. It's got a lot of traction zones, and it's all about braking as well. I think what's most telling about this table, Matt, is the difference, the split between the teammates within the table. Because normally, if the field is nicely spread out, you get the teammates being close together in the championship table. If they're only out-qualifying each other between one, two, three, four tenths, and the field is spread out, doesn't really make too much of a difference. When we've got a tight and competitive midfield like this, you've got Sergio Perez, best of the rest, leading Formula B, Lance Stroll in ninth place in Formula B, so that's a, a net 15th. The splits uh, are the same all the way down. Kimi Raikkonen massively outperforming Giovinazzi in the table. Ricciardo ahead of, uh, of Hulkenberg. Kevin Magnussen ahead of Grosjean, just because poor old Roman, he just doesn't seem to deliver. Uh, go on, Matt. He only finished two of the first five races. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that happened last season as well. That happened last season as well. So, you know, that's if Magnussen does finish those races, he's generally doing better than Grosjean. But this midfield, Chris, is so tight that we are able to deduce a little bit about driver performance from it. We're seeing thousands be the difference between making it into Q2 or Q3 or, or starting way down at, at the back of the grid at times. And it has been a very hotly contested and way you'll see the best cast perform is, you know, where you do have those close teammates. So for me, you know, I've been talking about the, the McLaren and the Toro Rosso for their race performances and the closest teammates are the McLarens. Yes. Albon. Oh yeah. Oh no, it's the same, isn't it? Between Kvyat and Albon are about the same distance as Sainz and Norris. And Sainz and Norris. And yeah. let's be honest, Norris should have a couple more points, shouldn't it? Because uh, he, he didn't finish in Spain um, and he had uh, some bad luck in China as well. For me, he's been the better McLaren driver this season, given especially given that it's his first season. Interesting to see what Racing Point might have done had their second driver fully optimised some of his opportunities. Obviously, Matt, it is a struggle when you've got a Q3 car and you have one of your drivers has so far failed to get that car out of Q1 in six races. Perez has been in Q3, I think, in four or five of those races and went out in Q1 in Monaco. Uh, that's not to mention as well that Perez's strong suit last season wasn't qualifying. No. He got out-qualified by Ocon something like 16-5, if I remember yeah. rightly. It was around yeah, yeah. that region. He got spanked, is the idea. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure it's an always Q3 car. I think I want to say he's been Q3 two or three times. Okay. But Perez's particular genius is with tires. He is the tire whisperer. We've seen him score podiums on his ability to just drive stupid stents on inappropriate tires. And this is really helping him out this season, especially. It's not a an aero car, I don't think. Um, their particular low point was in Spain, where they were really were like 
the the fifth or sixth best in like you know Alfa Romeo were ahead of them uh, as well. So for for me, they're the strongest suits. Obviously, come in the straight line performance with that Mercedes power unit, but also I think in the lower speed corners it does a little bit better. Monaco was a bit of an outlier, I think, for them. Like wasn't good in qualifying, but. I think in Canada, we'll start to see a little bit better from them, but I, I still don't see it as a Formula B leading car. No, I would agree with you. I think they lost a lot of time. And uh, in particular, some of their updates haven't worked as anticipated and they're struggling with that. And they're also struggling because they're building a new factory at the same time. So this is always going to, you got to be careful about how you split your focus at that. Well, yeah, this is the what we were talking about with the with the huge uh, stroll consortium among the other investors as well. Was that this is the the building year for Racing Poison? Then we'll start to see the the impact of it on the track in 2020, 2021. And there is a real strong stroll following. He's got a very small but very strong, very vocal fan group who love to tell me how wrong and how much of a hater I am. Is it fair to say? Uh, some reasonable parameters at which we'll say Stroll is doing a decent job at Racing Point. Matt, it's got to be more than Q1. That that is a car that can get out of Q1. We've got to start seeing Stroll getting out of Q1 regularly. Then we can start to go, okay, there's some hope. He's getting he's getting somewhat to grips with the car. Well, I think you've got to see one side or the other. If he's going to qualify badly, we have to see him getting to the points with that car. If he's going to qualify well, then he winds up where he winds up. But what we're seeing right now is neither really. We're not seeing incredibly great racing from him. And we're also not seeing qualifying that's good enough to get him to Q2. Let's face it, Q2 right now, could he finish 12th or 13th? That would be a big step forward for him. He's not there yet. So the question becomes then, how much time before you start saying it really ain't getting adjusted to the car anymore? It's just he's topped out. Crucially, it's the gap to Perez as well, isn't it? Which is significant compared to the other teams. All right, let's move on to Canada. Let's all enjoy this music that's too old to have copyright attached to it. Missed Apex podcast will, of course, be covering the Canadian Grand Prix. Is it a late one, Matt, for us? Are we going to have to do it at crazy hours? We often have to decide whether we stay up late and do it or whether we do it on a Monday. I err towards staying up late and just doing it immediately after the race, which it has a different tone and is a lot of fun as well. Uh, one or two things to tell you guys about. 21st of September, come and join us at Buckmore Park. Uh, we'll be racing there in three heats and uh, sorry, three heats each and final each 48 races. Matt's going to come across from the United States of America and come and see us. Chris Stevens, of course, will be there as well. Bradley Philpot, I think Gene Z, pretty sure Kyle's going to be there. Sarah Nickel as well. So a lot of the crew, uh, we're going to not do a live show before the race. We are just going to do our racing. And then we are just going to get on it in the bar with some entertainment. I think Mrs. Spanners and uh, um, and Trumpets might uh, reform the old band from August last year where we had a great evening and then we'll have a nice lion in the morning and we will go back to Buckmore to watch the Singapore Grand Prix in their conference room. So all patrons and any race participants are welcome to join us for that. And then we'll record a, a live race review all in the flesh, which we've never done before either. So that should be exciting. A um, couple of interesting developments. We've had time for a couple of new projects because 
I had to make a choice between abandoning my radio career, abandoning Mr. Apex, or abandoning the three days a week engineering. It would have broken my heart to have shut down Mr. Apex or have handed it over to Matt Trumpets because it would have just been pure tire talk uh, and tech talk and like politics and stuff. Um, I would have been foolish to have let go of a fledgling radio air quotes career at this point. So we had to make the the engineering disappear. Unfortunately, of course, I can always dive back into the world of contract engineering. But for now, I am at least half unemployed, which means, Matt, you and I, actually, it means two things. Firstly, it means this would be a great time to support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Secondly, it means that we've had time to do some of the things we've always wanted to do, like launch Apex TV. Yes, we've been looking forward to this. And as someone who has spent many, many a day with no work, it's a brilliant idea. I mean, what else are we going to do as the robots take all of our jobs, but sit around and consume Netflix and Hulu and Amazon content 24-7? You need someone to talk about that content. And let's face it, we are good at talking about things. Yes. So basically what we've launched with is a review of the Picard a teaser trailer so we'll be covering that when that eventually comes out but we'll be picking up several other tv shows as well and doing mixed apex podcast style reviews to your favorite tv shows so you watch the episode and then see what the apex tv crew uh, think of it as well so if you search for apex tv picard that should appear on your podcast player or the internet it certainly is on uh, it's on spreaker if you want to check that out uh, right then matt let's talk about canada mercedes are turning up with a new engine for Canada. One of three engines that each team uses. What's significant about this one? Well, there's two significant things. First is they are the last team to have an update, and they are on schedule with that as you're supposed to go seven races roughly per per engine. And then the second thing, and this is the one that always makes people set up and notice, is that it's rumored to have over a thousand horsepower at its command in qualifying mode. I don't think you'll see that in race mode, but certainly in qualifying mode, it's up to supposedly 1020. So 1020, a thousand was kind of like this big barrier they were aiming for for ages. And they were rumored to get to that, I think, at the beginning of last season. They were talking about topping a thousand. So is that 20 horsepower? Is that is that really a massive difference? In qualifying? Yeah, absolutely. When, When you're talking about if you look at the margin between the two of them, it's in hundreds of seconds. How much did you win by? Oh, 43 hundredth of a second. Yeah, 20 horsepower makes a difference. And to to think as well, back in the V8 era, those things were pumping out 750 horsepower. And people keep talking about how they how much they hate these hybrid engines. You cannot deny they are damn powerful. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not the nimble race cars of yesteryear, is it? It's not the things that can dance around on a on a dime and almost slide around the corners of Monaco, although Terry Bottas did slide around that hairpin pretty well. Did you see the video of him doing that to the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift music? I enjoyed that. That was a fun internet meme. Uh, but these are big beasts now, Matt. The cars are so long. Like If you look at those comparison shots between like a Senna-era car and, and these cars, they are bigger, wider, chunkier. And that's part of the reason why they're outgrowing a lot of these older tracks. It's not just the pure power. It's just the sheer size and scale of these machines, these monster machines. 
Yeah, and part of that is down to safety. Um, and part of that is just down to the regulations. And one of the things we have seen talked about is in the 21 regulations, uh, they were going to run it back to, I think, 3.4 meters. But now I think I hear it's 3.55. But making the car shorter makes them more agile, but also more unstable. And that's going to bring back a lot of that fun sawing at the steering wheel around corners that we always love to see. In terms of that engine upgrade, you got to say that that immediately puts them at the forefront of who's going to be favorite in Canada. I think had they put it off to, to France, like they did last year, you would maybe have thought, well, Ferrari have got their spec two engine up there already. And that gave them a, a, an advantage of two tenths of a second in, in the first sector at Barcelona which is just the straight and flat out turns two and three. So in terms of power, it was definitely up there on what is an aging spec one Mercedes engine. But now Mercedes have got the upgrade. So not only is it more powerful, it's also fresher because Ferrari are doing that. Their engines are two races old. So, and, and we know that the chassis is better and that the Mercedes is the king of low speed corners, which is what Canada is all about. I'm I'm str- I'm sorry to uh, you know be very one sided towards Mercedes, but I think it's a cold hard fact that there's really very little to challenge them for this one. It's going to be the, if they shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, uh, it's not. Oh, sorry, Matt, you carry on. You carry on, boy. No, I was just I was going to bring up that it's not all low speed corners at Canada, unlike unlike Monaco. And that Ferrari, for whatever reason, be it public relations or not, have been making quietly positive noises. I don't think it'll be enough to really overtake Mercedes, but perhaps it will be enough to make the race a bit more interesting than the ones we've seen uh, the last time or two out. But it may not be all low speed, but there's no high speed corners. The quickest corners are you know, like your medium speed ones, which is where the delta between Mercedes and Ferrari is at its greatest. You know, it's it's four chicanes and a hairpin, or five chicanes and a hairpin. You know, there, there's it's all about traction. It's all about stability under braking. Or in other words, Hamilton territory. Right, exactly. This is Hamilton territory as well. Like, he's the king of this circuit. I think Valtteri out-qualified out uh, Lewis there last year. Um, I can't remember if Lewis had a penalty last year. I don't think he did. But um, I, I, it, think, I think Lewis I, Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton can lose any given qualifying. Right. So this is going to be the qualifying battle between them is going to be really interesting as well. Like we talked about before Monaco, Valtteri's had that edge in terms of preparing the tire. And in Monaco, he didn't get the, the proper run. He didn't get that second lap in, in in Q3. For me, that's a battle that's going to develop a lot over this season. It, it could be. I, I, you can give me those technical kind of explanations of why Bottas might have an edge. To me, Matt, I think the simplest the situation is still that it is basically in Lewis Hamilton's hands. If he nails it, he's he's on pole. I don't think there's very many tracks where Hamilton and Bottas, at their very optimum, Bottas comes out ahead. However, Hamilton can drop the ball on any given qualifying and not string a lap together in Q3. Well, let's talk numbers then. Uh, Hamilton has won at this track six times. The only person to win more times is Schumacher. Hamilton has had six poles at this track, which ties Schumacher. Vettel has had two wins and three poles. Botas, no poles, no wins. 
So if we're just looking at numbers, and yeah, that includes a win last year, thank you very much, which is another reason to maybe think Ferrari actually might have a little better time of it at Canada, regardless of how the corners look to you right now, is is that they were successful last year. And they have, although linked in the wheelbase, they have their same basic concept from last year still embodied in their project. I, I don't think you can look at last year's success of Ferrari and apply it to this year though, because they were successful at a lot of tracks, especially in qualifying at the beginning of last season. And they've been nowhere this year because of the differences with the with the front wings and with the tires and with this awesome suspension system that Mercedes have got going on. For me, it's between Valtteri and Lewis. And given that it's Lewis territory, I'm still going to put him ahead. It's going to come down to that tire prep in Q3, I think. But even if Lewis misses out on pole position, this is a strategic race. You can race here. It's good for overtaking. Uh, I, I don't see too many outcomes where Lewis Hamilton does not win this race. Um, uh, and as as much as that, that's going to bore people, because that'll be, what, fifth win this season? Well, I think the hope is, Matt, that Bottas can stick it on pole. But I, I agree with Chris. I think even Hamilton from second place will still have the pace uh, and he'll have something in hand. He can eke out enough of an advantage, be it through tyres uh, you know, or, or tactics, to give himself enough pace for an overtake at some point. Oh, Chris wants to get in again. Well, you would think as well, because I think this might be an on-the-limit one-stop race. We know generally they're one-stoppers, but Canada tends to surprise with uh, with the tyre deck, which seems to be a little bit more than what you're expecting. And with uh, Pirelli bringing the, the softest compounds again uh, this weekend... If you're absolutely on the cusp of a of a one stop, then again, I think Lewis has got the upper hand. So let's talk about that. We've neglected the fact that our friend Max Verstappen actually finished third last year, and it would be worth considering his performance in Monaco and Red Bull in general having been on it strategically, not to entirely write him off of a podium either. But when it comes to Tire deck, you are absolutely right. But it's not just tire deck at Canada. It's also all about the braking. Let's recall whose brakes exploded at Canada a couple of years ago. Mercedes. And this might be one of the reasons why Ferrari could actually outperform our expectations at this point. Because that braking temperature is part of what helps keep those tires in the window and managing it. And we're going to have much higher braking temperatures for them to help get the wind, because the windows have moved up for people. I won't even bother to explain why, but it's due to the construction and the thinner tread. The windows have moved up. And the problem most of the teams have been having is getting into those windows and keeping them there, especially as the tires degrade. So we could actually see some really unusual results depending upon how on top of it the teams get. Ideally, it rains on Friday and it turns dry and hot for qualifying and nobody knows what's going on. But I, yeah. This is a good test for Honda as well. Good proper power circuit for them to really get the measure. Where where do they lie in terms of Mercedes and, and Ferrari? Are they as close to them as we think they've been in the first six races? Um, the other thing is what, you know, they, they did quite well on those softer tires um, compared to Ferrari. So we may see them out qualify um, them. But crucially, their engine is even older than the one in the Ferraris because they changed theirs in Azerbaijan. Now, they, they, may, they may stick another one in un, unexpectedly between now and, and then, but if they're sticking with what they've run previously, that is, a, is an older engine. So, I, I, again, you know, we, the cards are, are against them. 
Okay, so looking at the Canadian Grand Prix as an event, uh, you know I love the track. You know I love the race. I've always enjoyed the Canadian Grand Prix. However, it is absolutely true, isn't it, Matt, that if there is no rain and there is no safety car, you do generally get a procession at Montreal. No, Chris is objecting. Go on then, Chris. 2010. Okay, so I said generally. Are you going to pick one race? 2010, 2012, 2013, 2014. Uh, after that, yeah, I think the formula goes against them. But like, even even a couple of years ago, there were good races. Canada, you you get good racing okay. at Canada. Okay, no, I'm not saying you don't get good racing at Canada. And bear in mind, I've been watching this since whenever 1988. Uh, the the races that have a safety car and have rain are the ones that stick out. The ones that don't tend to have that. I tend to be particularly in line with some of the older tracks or a street circuit rather than, say, what the Tilkadromes churn out. That's true anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and we've seen it in the past, there's the possibility that unexpected degradations or brake problems could add that element of excitement to it. If someone decides to go on an aggressive two-stop, you could potentially make that work in Canada, particularly if your second stop, you get a virtual safety car or a safety car to help out. Then you've driven a lot faster than the other team and you lose very little or no time on that second stop. And let's remind ourselves, because people would shout if I didn't, that we're bringing the three softest tires to this race just to help out with that possibility. Let's not forget, you know, this was the track that inspired the high deck tires for Pirelli to make back in 2010, when actually it was two stopping that won a race, which was unheard of in the Bridgestone era. And uh, 2012 as well, it was the extra stop that won Lewis Hamilton the race as well. Let me try and phrase this another way. The Canadian Grand Prix particularly lends itself well to situations where there are a safety car or wet races. and. And it is also a track that does throw up a safety guard quite a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, the barriers are, are right there. But I, again, I think that's true of any track. You throw some water in there. There's always the unpredictability of it. The barriers are right there. Yeah, you do get a lot of safety cars in Canada because it is, it's a—it's an unforgiving circuit. There's very oh. little in the way of runoff. Where there isn't a barrier, there is grass. And yeah, yep. only two corners with runoff. Yeah. So also, you can tweet us at Spanners Ready or at Chris on Racing. Am I making up? this Montreal phenomenon or has Chris got it absolutely nailed on or is Chris just a young idiot who's only watched about six seasons of F1 so who cares what he says and shut your face Chris it's up to you guys you decide on Twitter you can also use the handle at Missed Apex F1 and at MattPT55 to get in touch with the crew we've also got a Facebook group that's pretty active search for Missed Apex podcast on Facebook normally you'd be able to join us in the live chat Uh, Matt, but YouTube, that wasn't our fault. YouTube is down. So we've not had the live chat. It's not quite been the same. No, no, it's it's not been. But I do have, before we run out of here, at least one more exciting thing to deliver on the way out the door. And that is e-fuels. Oh, really? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, they're synthetic fuels made from carbon already in the atmosphere, and they've shown up in the 2021 regulations with a goal of, by 2025, being 60% efficient on the ice, which I don't even understand where they're getting these numbers from because this is all just rumors and hearsay and whatnot. But it's apparently a thing that was not expected that has shown up and is a 
potential augmentation or alternative to the full electrification that's being talked about. So we've got WEC doing hydrogen, F1 doing e-fuels, and we've got Formula E doing full electrification. It's really an exciting time. Okay, podcast foul. Did you just sneak a tech item in to our Canada preview? Minus yeah, minus 17 points. All right, here's a prediction from me for the Canadian Grand Prix. I think Sebastian Vettel, the wily old fox will run a steady, strategically sound race, whereas Leclerc will have an early incident and contact with the barrier and or a car. That means he's catching up throughout the rest of the race. Firstly, what do you think of that prediction, Chris? And do you have any of your own? Well, I mean, I can see a logic behind it because Leclerc has had you know, two incidents in the, the last three races, uh, but I would actually only really put one of them down to being his his fault his issue and even then you could forgive him for the scenario he was in as well in that particular race i'm not even talking about monaco um i disagree slightly i think they'll be close i think they'll be close. I, I reckon it'll be um like in uh, 2017 when they were getting uh, proper close you know seven uh, a kibby at that time uh, as well that was some good some good and scoring. will they be ahead or behind max verstappen in that close scrap I think behind. I think I think podium wise it'll be Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen. Um and then and then the two Ferraris and, and we'll see where Pierre Gasly ends up in the middle of that, probably in sixth place. Um I want to make a Formula B prediction because I feel like that's harder. Yeah. I want to say that Toro Rosso will get the P seven. No, you're nuts. I'm gonna I'm gonna rubbish that entirely, Matt. This is this is not the track to make that prediction. Not the track at all, Matt. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, it's going to be Haas all the way in that position. Oh, but they have no race pace, Matt. They have no race pace. They might get it in qualifying, but will they get it in the race? Yeah, they will because they got it in Spain, did they not? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, but they Spain did. is the like one of the most high energy circuits of the, calen- the calendar. Calendar not. It's like you're not listening to me. They have a brand new rear suspension on the car that comes from Ferrari and is hydraulic. So that's going to be a huge advantage. It's lighter. They'll be able to move some ballast around. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I'm, I'm totally rating Haas for this. And the braking zones alone are going to help them tremendously keep, keep the heat in the tires, in the windows. And we've seen how good Magnussen has been this year. He's just solid up there at the front of the Formula B championship. Okay, so we've had my prediction, we've had Chris's prediction, and because Matt brought tech into the preview, he doesn't get a prediction. So tune in on Tuesday, where we'll be speaking to Joe Saywood, hopefully on a live stream if it's back up and running, but we'll certainly be here at some time on Sunday doing a Canadian Grand Prix race review. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. Hit it, Bjorn. And since there's no chat room, we can just assign comment of the week to a random participant. Think of any chat room name, Chris. I don't know. Matt, think of any chat room name and they get the award. Bob51. Comment of the week. Well done, Bob51. Your time came. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.